We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks for Sports Illustrated on Fan Nation. And we have a breakdown episode today talking about Oregon football's 52-29 to victory over the Colorado Buffaloes at home in Autzen Stadium. And I am joined on this pod by my good friend Dylan Rubenking, uh, Ducks Digest reporter. How are we doing, Dylan? Doing great. It's been a very eventful weekend, and uh, this was it was a lot of fun to watch Oregon kind of dominate. So I'm I'm happy to be here to talk about it. There's a, a lot of notes uh, on that domination. I feel like we kind of saw that more from an offensive perspective than than uh, defense. So that's something I definitely want to talk about in this one. Uh, offense is always a great place to to start things. I think uh, you know one note that stands out is that this is the first time Oregon scored 50 or more points. Uh, more than 50 points for the first time since uh, November 2nd, 2019 against USC. So really cool to finally see that offensive explosion. I mean, it's not to say that we haven't seen it at all this season, but just from from the jump, this was the best start we've seen from an Oregon offense and I, th- I think, you know, any time this season. Yeah, I mean, you talked about how in the first half they scored on every possession. Um, I don't think they had a field goal until at the very end of the first half. It was nothing but touchdowns. And then they scored on every possession except for Ty Thompson's pick. So on every drive that the starters were out there, um, they scored. So that is impressive. Um, Colorado, of course, was without their best defensive player and they've kind of been shaky at times on defense. But, um, you know, for the college football playoff committee, for Oregon fans overall, I think that's a it's a very convincing offensive performance, at least, because that's what a lot of people have been highlighting. You mentioned the playoff, and that's why I feel like this big performance might be coming at just the right time for Oregon. Uh, you talk about Anthony Brown. Man, he looks really comfortable. Um, I think that his UCLA performance, you know, it had obviously its really good moments, but the whole thing with him is, you know, you see the brilliance and then some of these crucial turnovers just kind of put a sour taste in your mouth and it makes it a little hard to get a good feel for him or say with confidence that he is, you know, that really strong quarterback but took care of the ball in this one against Colorado, which I think is, is a great development. A uh, great thing to see for Oregon final line, 25 of 31 for 307 yards uh, and three touchdowns through the air. Also added seven carries for 38 yards on the ground, about five yards a pop. So a really complete offense offensive performance for him. And man, that O line looked great as well. Allowed him really sit back and operate in the pocket. 
Uh, what did you see from Brown on Saturday? What do you want to say about him? Yeah, I think his decision-making was the best that I've seen this year. Um, I think he trusted his receivers a bit more, trusted his eyes a bit more this time around. Um, and obviously Colorado wasn't playing, you know, lockdown coverage or anything necessarily. But, um, you know, I, I think that that was kind of an issue throughout the season was, um, you know, making the right the, the right reads, making the right decisions. Um, and I think there really wasn't any um, huge noticeable mistakes in this one. Obviously he had six incompletions and he'll, you know, knock himself for that. But overall, this was the closest thing to, you know, his best game of his career. I mean, I had to do some research. I thought he had a, a bigger yardage at one point uh, at Boston College. And this was this 307 was actually his career high throughout his college career. So, uh, you know, definitely throwing the ball down the field more, which is what Oregon fans and everybody in college football have been kind of screaming for. Um, and of course, they're used to it because Oregon's so known for having these explosive plays and, you know, just throw it down the field, let the dudes fly down the field. Um, and it's not so much like that. But, um, you know, it's, it's definitely a very pleasing performance for for him and for Oregon fans, because obviously they wanted to, you know, see him step up and kind of have a performance like this. And yeah, he definitely delivered. We're seeing some more of that development from Brown, as well as these wideouts that you mentioned, Dylan. Devin Williams, another great game, five catches on six targets for 95 yards and a touchdown. Uh, had a, a great play on a, a short pass that he kind of ripped open for a bigger game, pointing to Terrence Ferguson, Terrence Ferguson, hey, like lead the way, pick up this block. That was a great play. Had a really big uh, you know, 50-50 ball that he went up and grabbed, and, and you could hear the oohs and ahs from, from throughout Autzen Stadium, which was great. Uh, and I, I, it's just really refreshing to see him, uh, Devin Williams, that is just really establishing himself and putting it together uh, on a consistent basis now for Oregon. And if he's in a good rhythm with with AB, I feel like, man, this 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 offense is really coming together, especially through the air. You know, they've been doing their thing on the ground all year, and there's definitely something to talk about there. But from a receiving standpoint, from a passing attack this was just a really encouraging performance. Yeah. And I think the, the broadcast, the Fox broadcast, um, they mentioned it a number of times that Anthony Brown and Devin Williams are roommates, which, you know, kind of leads you to think that they'll have that connection. They, you know, they play catch all the time. They run routes, I'm sure. Um, and you've clearly seen that. I mean, it seems like almost every time that he throws to Devin Williams, no matter where it's, you know, on the sideline, if it's deep down the field, if it's a 50, 50 ball and he's double covered, it seems like he's going to make that catch nine times out of 10. Um, and you saw that again, you know, that double coverage where he put it way up and caught it. Um, it felt like I was watching Julio Jones. Like that was, that was an impressive catch and an impressive throw too. Um, and I, I've talked about this before. I was really, really confused as to why Devin Williams was so buried on the depth chart um, early in the year. And he's, in my opinion, I almost think he's running away with the wide receiver one spot for Oregon because he's, been consistent each of the last three games going back to the Cal game. So uh, I think they just, they need to keep feeding him all over the field and he's going to produce. I mean, he's been rock solid really since he started last year. He was really good last year too. Big play guy, huge, reliable target, really good hands, really good, you know, yards after the catch. So, you know, the future is really bright as long as they're throwing to him. Williams wasn't even the only guy that, that was, you know, reeling in passes for the Ducks. Uh, I think it's great to see that the ball is getting distributed as well, but it, you know, 
I feel like Mario, Mario Cristobal says, you know, we don't want to play into those narratives, those storylines. We don't really pay attention to that. But I mean, having a guy that you can just have a B go to and have, you know, a lot of confidence, that's not even to, to slight the other wideouts, but I just feel like if you, if you're a football fan, you know, you, you can understand why that would be a good thing. Right. Uh, so Williams continues emerging. Uh, Travis Dye was the, was number two in uh, receptions and yards with five catches for 75 yards. So he continues to, to be really impactful through the run game and the pass game. Seven McGee came up with some big passes and, and Troy Franklin got that first touchdown and you talk about a guy being buried on the depth chart. I'm not saying that's the case with Franklin, but he had a lot of buzz before this season. And I think a lot of people, myself included, were kind of wondering why we didn't see him getting more involved, but it looks like he's coming around now. This offense is coming around and uh, just for, for him to, to get, uh, you know, heavily involved here with, with Oregon looking to, to maybe add another wide receiver after Nick Anderson decommitted and flipped to, to Oklahoma, Darius Clemens was was uh, in town for a visit. I think anytime you have a lot of recruits on campus and you see uh, freshmen making a big impact, that's going to have uh, lasting effects. You know, uh, um, in addition to to just this big win over Colorado. Yeah, a lot of the recruits that I talked to, um, you know, over the summer, they were like, you know, making it known that you know Oregon gives freshmen playing time, and we've seen that this year and. And that's what a lot of guys want, but it's not what a lot of guys get right away. Um, but yeah, Troy Franklin, I think that Fresno State game, he was out there on the first snap and then he got banged up early in the year. So he was out for a little bit. But I mean, yeah, I think they're putting a lot of trust in him now. And he's really, uh, you know, when he gets the ball in his hands, he's he's done a really good job, too. Um, when they threw that one over the middle into the end zone, I thought that was Devin Williams until he came down with it. Um I was I was really impressed with the route that he ran and you know just going up and and making that catch it was super impressive and an absolute dart from Anthony Brown I don't think that's talked about enough that was a laser by AB so uh, yeah I'm really impressed with the um, you know all the receivers that have come along the last couple of weeks I think we're gonna need to see Troy Franklin step up a little bit next week if uh, you know since Johnny Johnson's gonna be out the first half of the UW game I think they're gonna probably have Franklin out there, uh, maybe Chris Hudson out there a little bit um, to start because of Johnson's absence. But uh, yeah, I, I think they have a lot of faith in Troy Franklin. They've they've raved about him really all season long, going back to the spring, um, talking about how his hands are, you know, next to none. So um, I'm really excited for him and um, a lot of the freshman receivers. I, I still really want to see Dante Thornton though. Um, not just like in garbage time, but like, you know, in important moments too, because he's really reliable as well. I just, I didn't think there was that big of a disparity between him and, and Franklin. Um, but I guess the coaching staff must think so, because we haven't seen much of him. We're seeing a lot of offensive guys from this freshman class getting involved. You look at the tight ends uh, as well as Franklin. And I'm, I'm right there with you. I think Thornton uh, to, to show, you know, it was a, a very limited sample size, but, how he just exploded in that touchdown against Stony Brook uh, for a guy with, with that frame to, to be running like that, you would figure that he would be getting a little bit more involved. But I think since we're seeing the, I feel like the, the offense is, is taking another step forward the the receivers are doing really well. You know, there's, there's no reason to, to, um, you know, think that the Oregon staff won't, won't get the right guys involved so far. I mean, we're looking at from a passing standpoint, sorry, receiving standpoint, the, the wideouts had a huge day, but 
they've also been just rock solid blockers as well. You know, Johnny Johnson, like you mentioned, is going to miss some time, but he had that grown man block on Travis Dye's first touchdown, just absolutely mauling his guy over. Uh, Jalen Red had one against Stanford, I want to say, if I remember that correctly. So, yeah, these wideouts and uh, it's just it's just fun to see because Brian McClendon has a great reputation, had a great reputation before he even got here, and then last year I think that the offense as a whole left something to be desired. Um, but I think we're seeing this group take take a good leap forward. And and I was thinking today as I was writing that uh, Nick Anderson piece. Uh, you know, what's this wide receiver room going to look like? Because you bring in three high school Americans. Uh, what's it going to look like in 2022, I should say, after this season? You bring in three high school Americans and Franklin, Thornton, and Brevard. Uh, and then you have three really good good receivers committed now um, in this 2022 class. If Devin Williams keeps playing this season like he is, is he maybe going to try to test the draft waters? Because I feel like he's got a significantly higher floor than your average college football wideout with you know, his six, four, six, five frame. Uh, and then Micah Pittman's also evolving as well. So I think that the evolution at the position that we've seen this year definitely raises some interesting questions for what this room could look like next year, but either way, there's just so much talent to, to work with. It's not really a problem that you think about Oregon having so much. Um, you know, I think over the years, they've kind of had a go-to guy. You had Josh Huff was kind of the far and away number one guy. Um, you had, you know, Dylan Mitchell was kind of the guy that was getting, the load of the targets for a couple of years. And even like 2018, 2019, it looked like Johnny Johnson was the clear number one guy. Um, and then the last couple of two, you know, the last two years, it's kind of just been a mixed bag of, um, you know, whoever gets their hands on the ball. But the one thing that I really like about Brian McClendon and this Oregon staff with the receivers is they don't just tell you like, you know, we drafted, we, we, you know, we get you here to get drafted and we get you here, not just to be a really good ball catcher, route runner, all that stuff, but you're going to learn to block and you're going to learn to block really well um, and effectively. And I feel like a lot of colleges don't necessarily, I don't want to say prioritize that, but you're not really, you know, seeing Alabama receivers known for being dynamite blockers like you see at Oregon right now. So, uh, you know, with Johnny Johnson, his blocking ability and Jalen Red's blocking ability, I think that will bode well for them, you know, once they test the draft waters. I think you're seeing Devin Williams get better at that. But yeah, going back to your point about like the future receiver, I mean, yeah, they've just never had a problem like this in recent years with just the level of talent and um, speed and um, just really good hands all around. There are so many guys that they can use in so many different ways, um, especially 2022, because there's a lot of guys that can, you know, help in returns as well. And Micah Pittman, Hudson can do that too. So yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a track meet for the next couple of years. I like your point about about development and and how we've kind of seen that mold here at Oregon, um, because th- I think that's one of the biggest turning points of the program under Mario Cristobal. You're not seeing the Ducks getting like you know ten, twelve guys selected every year like some of these just major programs, you know, first rounders galore. Um, but they're square in the conversation. You know, you had Panay last year, Herbert the year before that. This year, upcoming, you'll have KT. Maybe Verone McKinley, if he works his way into that uh, conversation as well. But the development that we're seeing, you know, you're seeing guys able at wideouts that are able to to reel in the ball, uh, make plays after the catch, block, and then it also carries over to the running back position. You know, Jim Mastro has has prioritized blocking since he got here, and that's been a core pillar of uh, you know his requirements uh, of his group. 
and Travis Dye, even though some people might slight him for being a little bit smaller, same with Seven McGee, they've been rock solid blockers as well. And you talk about Troy Franklin's touchdown pass, sorry, touchdown catch uh, against Colorado, and Seven McGee was, you know, sticking his head in there to to step up and block for AB, um, who you know was able to to stay on one foot to to throw it to Franklin on that touchdown, which was awesome too. Um, I think it's just kind of funny because when you first look at a play like that. You know how how often more often than not it's going to be a negative result if someone's falling or just you know going through some kind of weird motion as they're throwing it. But I think that also says a lot about AB to say, hey, this guy's got my leg, but I'm still confident enough to to step up and throw that to Franklin and let it rip. Um, I think that's another great sign that that he's really settling in. Um, and I think I heard the other day um, I was listening to something and you're just talking about how the offense is maybe a little bit more simplified um, and we're not maybe seeing as many RPOs with, with Brown. So um, I think maybe we'll see some more of that as he gets more confident, but at the same time, you know, if you're running their ball really well, you don't necessarily need uh, Brown to, to take the the load on the ground there. So I, I just said a bunch of different things. So apologies, apologies for just kind of going all over the place. So I don't know where you wanted to take that. I just want whatever, squat routine lower leg routine that the Oregon strength and conditioning coach gives their guys because I feel like every time I watch that I, I watch the ducks you just see the same thing you see like Travis Dye just carrying dudes you see receivers carrying dudes um obviously the tight ends and the offensive line have really good lower bodies it's just impressive and Anthony Brown was just sitting there you know having a dude draped around his leg and still scanning the field and you know heaving it down the field that was really impressive but uh yeah I mean you know, the thing with the playbook, you talked about like, um, you know, kind of playing fast and um, all that kind of stuff. I mean, you have a lot of young guys that are out there involved. Um, you have a lot of experienced guys as well, but you're in year two of Joe Moorhead's offense. And he talked about like they fully installed it because last year was obviously really limited. Um, I think, you know, playing faster, that is a good thing. And you saw it with the defense. Tim DeRuiter talked about it, too, with, you know, it's a new defense, a lot of new guys out there, a lot of moving parts. Um, and you don't want to give them too much because you don't want to slow them down. And I think you're starting to see that they're playing fast, not just because like, you know, it's simplified, but the fact that everybody seems to be knowing what they're doing more and knowing what, you know, the opposing side of the field is doing, the other team's doing. Um, so I think everybody's just getting smarter, which is, you know, expected. We're in week 10 now. So, you know, I think I think the systems are fully in place. Everybody's kind of um, in a rhythm now. I think everybody knows what they're doing and it's cool to see the the freshmen not really looking like freshmen anymore, especially those uh, playmakers that we were talking about. We couldn't we couldn't talk about this Oregon Colorado game without talking about Byron Cardwell and and some of the other backs that got involved for Oregon. Seven McGee uh, getting his first touchdown uh, as well, and I, I mean Mario Cristobal said uh, today, you know, in, in the Monday morning press conference that that they don't have a necessarily number two, number three back. Um, despite Carwell's strong performance, um, you know, whether that's the case or not, you know, we'll, we'll see who ends up, you know, getting more carries. Cause he was saying that, you know, Byron and seven both really earned a lot, a lot of their, their reps and they both look really, really promising. Um, but you know, at least optically, it looks like Carwell is the, the number two guy, um, from what we're seeing from a, a rep distribution and just how he's been playing. But that dude just made the most of every carry, looked incredibly nimble on his feet, even though he's a, a bigger back. Um, and man, it's, it's super exciting to see him just have a heck of a game, seven carries for 127 yards. 
18 yards a pop, 18.1 yards a pop. I mean, how can you not get excited about that? Yeah, it was really cool to see him get into the game sooner. It seems like the last couple of games he's been getting in sooner and sooner. I think it was just the second drive that he was out there um, in the Colorado game. So, yeah, I mean, you talk about seven carries for 127 yards. I think he had three, three or four carries of at least 20 yards. Um, and I think I read he was like the first um, – freshman to have a hundred yards since CJ Verdell and um, I think it was, no, it might've been Travis died in 2018. Um, so yeah, I mean, he was absolutely eaten and credit to the offensive line for creating massive holes too. But, you know, Byron Cardwell, I think is, is approaching Travis die level explosion. Um, when he gets the ball in his hands, he's super shifty, seems to really see the field well too. He's got really good feet. Um, I think he's, you know, a lot better than a lot of people thought because, you know, Seven McGee's been committed for so long, and a lot of people have been waiting for him to kind of take over as, you know, that running back too. Trey Benson has been, you know, he's a really physical back. I thought a lot of people uh, were really high on him, and for good reason. But I feel like Byron Cardwell in the spring and in the fall, you know, the coaches were raving about him, but I feel like a lot of people kind of just didn't really bat an eye about him because they didn't recognize the name. He wasn't a super high recruit, but he's he's looked like, you know, he's a four-star, five-star player out there. Um, he's phenomenal. I, I really hope that he is um, kind of that more number two running back. I think they all deserve it. Seven McGee has been phenomenal in the passing game too, as we've seen. So I, I don't think they can go wrong. I just think at this point, it would be safe to say that Byron Cardwell has earned it with, you know, an absurd performance against Colorado. What makes it even more interesting, Dylan, is that Byron Cardwell committed to Oregon later in the recruiting process and we're seeing it we're seeing him earlier uh another you know note from from this game about his performance is that he had four carries that went for at least 20 yards so you talk about that explosion that we're seeing uh certainly encouraging um and then with with seven mcgee he he's been i mean he had, he had a, a couple of runs against colorado where he he muscled some guys so you know there you go again with what you were talking about with with you know Feld's strength program showing up again and again uh, on the field with with those results. Um, and he forced a fumble on that on that one of the kickoff returns too. He was he laid a stick on there on the kickoff return and almost forced a fumble. I, I think he actually did force a fumble, but Colorado recovered it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So you're seeing these guys impact the the game in, in multiple ways. And then I think the last thing I kind of wanted to talk about with the offense. Um, it's just the efficiency that we saw. I mean, I think you said it. Anthony Brown scored on all but one drive that he led when the when the starters were in there. It was something along those lines. But I think it's it's awesome to see this because I feel like all throughout the season, Oregon hasn't been known for starting fast. And I mean, I guess they kind of made up for that with just how strong they've been playing in the fourth quarter. But I think in such a chaotic year in the Pac-12 where Oregon is far and away the best team in every game on paper, you know, games aren't played on paper. We all know that, but now it's, it's time for them to do this every week. I mean, I'm not saying that they're going to blow everybody out, but it feels like they're putting it together at at the right time. uh, Especially when you consider that, I think their schedule really heats up with this road trip to Washington. um, Even though Washington's had a pretty bad season it's a rivalry game and anything can happen. And then if they have that game and they have to go on the road to Salt Lake later this year as well. So with, with the way that their schedule shakes out, I think this kind of performance, especially from the offense, we'll talk about the defense here a little bit. 
I think the explosiveness from this offense and the efficiency and, and the offensive line, they looked great as well. It's, it's all coming at the right time. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, and I think this uh, this Oregon team, um, you know, in September, I don't know if they would have, you know, I don't think they would have beaten Colorado as handedly as they did on Saturday because you talk about they played Stony Brook, they played Arizona, and those were tight for um, the entire first half. And for the Arizona game, that was the first three quarters. I don't think, um, you know, Oregon would drop 52 on, on Colorado back in September, in, even though Colorado was not very good back then either. But, um, you know, Oregon's really, like you said, they're, they're figuring it out at the right time. Uh, and I think this is going to be the true test of, you know, who this team is, especially on offense, because it's been really inconsistent. Um, it's, it's done what it needed. It's needed to. Um, but at the same time, you know, you want to see that dominance. You want to see that Oregon football of the 2010s that, you know, puts up 50 on any given Saturday. That's what a lot of Oregon fans are used to. I don't think you're going to see that the next four weeks, most likely, but, um, yeah, it's all four games I think are super tough. Even Washington state at home, they've won four straight conference games in a row. Um, and Oregon state is not an easy out either. And it's a rivalry game too. So, um, yeah, it's going to be huge. I think there, um, a lot of people are kind of sliding them because the PAC 12 is just cannibalizing itself, but those four teams are not easy teams to beat. Um, especially Utah on the road and Washington on the road. I think that Utah game I've had my eyes on all season long and they look really good. Yeah. Th yeah. Those games look a lot different than 
a lot of people were expecting them to at the beginning of the year, which, I mean, I think from, as a college football fan, you got to think that that's awesome. But even even if you're not an Oregon fan, like just for West Coast football fans or the Pac-12, you, I don't know. I think it, it makes the Pac-12 more fun to watch. It's kind of that ongoing struggle, right? Like, you know, you love – like that's part of the reason I love college football and I like it more than the NFL is that you can get all this chaos. But when the Pac-12 just – has a garbage perception nationally you're not doing yourself any favors here uh you know with with this product and you know teams not really beating teams that they're heavily favored against or you would think would win uh but i know we had some pac-12 picture stuff we wanted to get into later but um you think we maybe we should switch up to the off uh, the defense a little bit before we before we get out of here let's do it all right so talking about the defense I think that 29 points to a Colorado team that had struggled, has struggled for, for the whole year is, uh, you know, a little bit of a cause for concern, you know, maybe not the the kind of defensive performance that, that we were expecting to see from, from the Ducks, but there were still some really good games. Uh, I think, you know, off the top of my head, I think we had uh, our, our John Rustic wrote, uh, Mikhail Wright, Jeffrey Bossa and Brian Addison were, were his uh, top performers, top defensive performers of the game. Mike Mikhail Wright leading the leading the way, tied with Bossa for six total tackles uh, against Colorado. Um, but I mean, the, the Colorado offense, the story has to start with Brendan Rice because that dude was just balling out of his mind on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I think he's been their best offensive weapon this season. Um, even though they had Jarek Broussard, who's um, the reigning Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year, Brendan Rice looked like. Um, a faster version of his dad in college or like early in his career. Like the dude can tear up a field. I think including kick return yards, he almost had, I think he had almost 300 yards all purpose, which is insane to think about. And he was like pretty much their entire offense. He had far and away the most receiving yards, all those return yards. Um, I think they gave it to him on like an end around and he had like a 20 yard carry or something like that too. I mean, yeah, he was far and away their best player and he was just, um, exposing you know Oregon's defense but I think it was kind of a cause for concern not just because of how you know the lack of production from Colorado but the fact that their offensive line had been so um terrible I guess I don't want to I can't really sugarcoat that tell how it is Dylan (laughs) (laughs) they really weren't good I mean they they fired their offensive line coach before relieved them of his duties I guess was the technical phrase um right before the Oregon game. And I think Oregon only sacked him once Brennan Lewis once, I believe. Um, let me double check that. Yeah, it was once, um, which I expected, you know, upwards of five or six sacks. And I mean, Brennan Lewis was pressured. They did bring some pressure on him and he's a pretty athletic quarterback. So credit to him for that. But um, yeah, I expected a little bit more of a consistent, you know, just dominance from the defensive line. Um, cause Kayvon, I didn't really hear his name called really at all throughout the game. He did have a few tackles, but I just feel like I didn't really hear him all that much. To be fair, you know, to Colorado's credit, they were doing a lot of really good things in the screen game. So that would kind of, you know, make it a little bit tougher with those quick passes to, to see guys like, like KT Mace, Adrian Jackson, Noah Sewell get in there, uh, to, to, you know, drum up some more pass rush, um, but, you know, it is what it is. I don't think that it's uh, anything to freak out over now. 
you know, we did see some other guys get get a little bit banged up. Uh, we can throw some some injury updates in here um, as the Ducks get ready for Washington next week. Steve Stevens had a, a soft tissue injury uh, that he sustained in this one, um, but Mario Cristobal telling the media on Monday that, that there's a, that he has a chance uh, to play against Washington this week. Rome McKinley exited with got a little bit dinged up, but he would return. And then Damon David was down for a little bit, but he's looking good to go now. So, you know, especially with that safety group, I think it's it's tough to to have some injuries just because the there's not much experience behind that first line. Um, but that'll be something that we have to watch this week just to see how that group kind of meshes with with uh, David um, being another guy from that 21 class. You know, true freshman getting some some pretty significant reps. And then uh, how big of a role is Brian Addison going to play in in the case that uh, Steve Stevens isn't able to go? Yeah, I think Brian Addison, to be honest, looked really fluid, very natural as a safety, in my opinion. Um, I don't really know what to expect because we hadn't seen him all season long. Um, and he's a converted wide receiver. He's 6'4", six, 6'5", six, as a safety, which I don't even think I've ever even seen in my lifetime. Um, and he looked like a safety out there. It was awesome to see that he was, you know, um, playing pretty good coverage, stopping the run. Uh, he looked solid. So, um, you know, if for some reason, Steve Stevens can't go or um, Verone at the last second can't go or something happens in practice. I feel pretty confident that the Ducks would, you know, put Brian Edison out there as a starter. Um, I know, I think our Dylan Mickinen, he was talking about um, possibly Jeffrey Boston moving back to safety. Um, honestly, the same thing with him. As I said, with Addison, Jeffrey Boston looks natural as a linebacker. So um, I think with all the injuries they've had there, I don't think they would they would do that maybe sort of like a hybrid. Um, but I just don't, I don't think they'd make that move given how well he's played at linebacker um, boss. I think he had one and a half tackles for loss um, had six tackles. So he's really coming into his own. And um, I, I think I'm sure Ver- Verone will be okay, but I think, you know, I, I think Brian Addison will be fine at safety given his you know length and ball skills that he's shown. And Mario Cristobal said that the plan right now, at least in this season, uh, or as things stand, I should say, is for Boston to move back to safety after this season. Um, and you got to think that there's a little bit more room for that once uh, you know they get a Justin Flo back uh, and maybe get some of these talented linebacker recruits that they have in the 2022 class on campus. TJ Dudley has as much, you know, praise as, as any linebacker in the country, I think. Can you talk about adding guys like Devin Jackson and Harrison Taggart uh, from Utah, uh, Nebraska and Utah, respectively? Um, you know, those are guys that who knows, maybe we see them, uh, you know, get, get some early playing time for Oregon. Um, so the safety picture, I mean, it, it doesn't look ideal right now, but that's what we have to see what happens with, with some of these injuries. Um, and I can understand the excitement behind a guy like Brian Addison because the times that he's gotten in this season, I feel like he's had some really close opportunities to to get a pick. And then he, I think he had a little bit of a lapse in coverage. And uh, when, um, right, uh, shoot, Lewis, excuse me, I was blanking on the Colorado quarterback's name. Lewis was able to to find Robinson for a touchdown uh, in that game on Saturday uh, that that Oregon played. So we'll have to see how things kind of develop there in the secondary. Um, the cornerback spot has has still been really solid. And I think they talked about maybe getting some guys practicing both positions. 
uh, or maybe in like some nickel and dime situations just to just to have that versatility. Um, and it's kind of interesting to see that come into play here, seeing how Oregon's done that throughout the season up the offensive line. Um, but we'll see how how uh, how these guys can adjust. You know, are they going to be able to to you know maybe live up to that recruiting billing? Because I feel like I think I talked about this in the last pod. You know, when you have to switch positions like that, I think that really hints at at your football IQ and you know how good of a player, how valuable you can really be for a team. Um, because even though maybe you're recruited to play a different position. I think that just being versatile and, and having the athleticism to play a variety of positions is just going to up your stock a lot more as a college football player. And then maybe down the road as an NFL prospect. Well, yeah. I mean, if you know, think about a guy like Jeffrey Bossa, you know, obviously he's really young, but um, you know, you think about a guy who you're so used to playing one spot and you understand your role and where you're supposed to be and where the guys in front of you are supposed to be. But when you're playing, you know, linebacker in the middle, you know, sometimes if you're in on the inside, like a lot of middle linebackers do, you're kind of calling the plays, calling the shots. Um, and then you have to know where guys are behind you, which is probably a lot different. Um, and then corners, you know, some play closer to man, some play further back. So uh, I definitely don't think it's an easy transition, you know, having to figure out a different side of the field, different spot on the field. Um, but, you know, this Oregon coaching staff has really prioritized, like, you know, cross training and, you know, like you said, versatility making sure that you can put anybody in um, at any spot at any given time, if something were to happen. And a lot of some things were to happen uh, during this, uh, this season with all the injuries they've had. So it's really cool to see that, you know, guys like Bossa and Brian Addison are getting, you know, action where they weren't expected when they got to Eugene. Um, I just think that, you know, when injuries, when injured players start to come back, I think you're going to see those guys kind of like start to mesh together a little bit more because, you know, you kind of see it, the safeties are kind of doing their own thing. The linebackers are kind of doing their own thing. Defensive line has been dominant at times, but um, inconsistent at others. I just think the defense is going to start meshing together these last couple of weeks once people, you know, start to get healthy. But it's, you know, it's promising to see that guys who are having to be that next man up are really stepping up. I think that's, that's something that shouldn't be lost on this season, right? You know, we, we've seen how dominant the defense can look at times, you know, what they really look like when they're, I mean, at, at full strength for this season, I mean, full strength would be with, with Mathis and, and flow and, you know, some other valuable pieces that are, that are ready to go. But, but either way, I think that even though this year's defense, this year's unit may not look as dominant as some fans would want, given how well they've been uh, acquiring talent. I think that, you know, some of these growing pains, maybe they're happening a little bit earlier than you'd like to, but I think it'll give you more depth and, and more confidence in, uh, in the defense uh, next year. And then Trevin, Trevin Mai is a, a guy who's uh, gotten his, we've heard his name quite a bit um, recently. He's a, another versatile guy that has really changed his body since he got to Oregon and, and he's making an impact uh, as well. But one point that I think that we should talk about for the, this game and the defense is that they were actually pretty successful getting off the field um, on third down Colorado going just five of 13. I think that's been a point of emphasis um, for a lot of people when they're looking at how effective the defense has been. Can they get the ball back to the offense and, and help them, uh, you know, just keep putting up points. And I think when you have the offense operating at this high of a clip and then the defense, you know, getting off the field when they need to and, and kind of these key situations, the third down situations, it, it just, it makes it feel like a well-oiled machine. So even though 29 points is probably more than they wanted to give up, uh, I think it's important to take into perspective that, that they were rotating a lot of guys 
through this game. You know, I, we talked uh, in the preview pod, you know, how this was maybe going to be a little bit of a tune-up game. I think this is the kind of the game that they wanted to have against Arizona. It's just coming against uh, Colorado a little bit later in the season. So that was kind of the last point that I had for defense, but um, wanted to see if you had anything else you wanted to add there before we kind of transition into the Pac-12 stuff. Yeah, third down was definitely a big point of emphasis because I know, especially in the Cal game and I believe in the Stanford game, there were a lot of third and longs that were being converted or um, there would be like a big chunk taken out of that that distance. Um, and I think Colorado was four for four on fourth downs as well. So you kind of have to take that into account as well. But um, and I think Colorado was only converting like 31, 32% of third downs coming in. Um, so yeah, I, I know you can really be nitpicky with, um, you know, with Colorado, how poor they were playing offensively. Um, they were only averaging, I think, 238 yards a game coming in. And then they went off um, for, I believe it was 300, over 330, something like that. Um, yeah, I think, you know, there were times where it looked like a really, like early in the game, it looked like a dominant defense. Um, and I just think they need to put that part together for a full four quarters. Um, like you think of the Stanford early in the second half against Stanford, that was probably the most dominant I've seen this Oregon defense be up until like the last drive or two. Um, and then at UCLA, there were times where it looked really, really dominant too. Cal at the very end looked really dominant, despite the fact that, you know, they had that 30,000 play drive for 12 minutes or whatever it was at the end. Um, but there are times where, like you said, they can get off the field, get the ball back three and outs. They just look dominant from head to toe, but I think they need to put that together for a full, um, you know, full four quarters and get some confidence when you're playing some really, really good offenses that we'll talk about in a second with like Utah, Washington state and Oregon state. It looks like consistency is going to be the name of the game folks for the ducks as they prepare for a rivalry road trip to Seattle to face the Huskies. But before we get out of here on this episode of the ducks dish podcast, the Dylan does a phenomenal feature every week talking uh, about the PAC 12 action that has transpired. It's called Ruben Kings roundup. You can find the latest edition on DucksDigest.com. Dylan, you're really in tune clearly with, with the PAC 12 and kind of everything that's going on here in the so-called conference of champions. Uh, I say the so-called because just all this chaos that we've seen teams, Cal beating Oregon state. I mean, like what, what is that? That makes no sense. I mean, Cal has looked terrible for most of the season and, and Oregon state, it looked like they were going to be the team that, uh, you know, I mean, I feel like it still might be Oregon state and, Oregon for the Pac-12 North, but now we got Washington State reeling off four straight Pac-12 wins after, uh, you know, some major coaching turnover. So everything's happening now. I mean, what what can you kind of tell us to to maybe give us a little bit of clarity on all this madness? I don't want to say they're for real necessarily, but I think I think Washington State has really found their stride because that Arizona State game they were dominant from the jump. Like, I think they held a 28 nothing lead at one point. Arizona State was getting called for crazy penalties like they have all year, uh, turning the ball over three times in the first three possessions. I mean, Washington State looked not just like an air raid offense, but they could run the ball, they can throw it. The defense obviously was forcing stops. I mean, that was a really well-rounded performance by Washington State. So I don't think that that game should be glossed over um, when the Cougars come into Eugene because they've looked really, really good. Um, 
for the last four Pac-12 games. They did lose to BYU, um, but they've they're four and two. They're number two in the Pac-12 North. So don't sleep on the Cougs. But Oregon State, I honestly I felt a, a performance like that coming. Um, their defense statistically has not been their strong suit. They kind of run the ball down your throat, and Chance Nolan's done a really good job at, as the starting quarterback, but. Cal was stopping the run. And so they were kind of limited and then they couldn't stop chase Garbers. So I think Oregon state is maybe on the decline, but I don't think they're a team to gloss over either. Washington. I think their defense is still, um, you know, as good as it gets in the pack 12 offensively. I mean, not so much, but you know, that defense is going to, is going to keep them in games. Um, And you definitely saw that against Stanford when they held them to without a touchdown until the second to last drive, I think. Um, so I, I think the four teams in the North to, to really consider is Oregon, Washington State, Oregon State, and Washington. I don't think you're going to see uh, Cal or Stanford really play spoiler um, again because Stanford kind of did that almost, but Oregon's still in it. So, But I, I think it's Oregon's division. Um, Washington State is, I would say, the biggest threat right now. I think that game um, in a couple of weeks will decide the North ultimately if Oregon State doesn't you know, win out up until that late November game. Oregon's been pretty dominant at home. Uh, they're they're currently riding a, a 17 game home winning streak where they've outscored opponents 641 to 292 uh, during that streak. So it's it's nice that they get some of those games uh, against Oregon State and Washington State at home. But they're gonna have to they're gonna have to show up on the road, and I think that's been a bit of a mixed bag for them so far this year. You look at the UCLA game, playing up to the competition there, but against I don't know if I'd say playing down to Stanford. I mean, there were a lot of weird things happening in that game. You talked about Jim Moorhead not being available, Alex Forsyth uh, not being available, Bennett Williams, uh, he's coming off that injury, and that was something that people didn't really know about. You know, kind of a a freak accident type of a deal. So there the was just so crew. much. Yeah. Yeah. And the officiating crew, you know, say what you will about the calls. Um, but there was so much adversity there. And I feel like going through that is going to equip this team has equipped this team to deal with that down the stretch. And I think that gives me some more confidence for, with regard to them showing up uh, in some of these big road games down the stretch and um, you know, pretty confident in them, uh, you know, showing up uh, at Odson because clearly they're doing really well under Mario Cristobal and they're playing at home and they got the Odson faithful roaring. Yeah. I mean, Oregon's not playing, you know, Arizona's or Cal's or Colorado's anymore. I mean, these are all quality football teams that they're going to be playing over the next four games. So um, they're going to be needing to get even better and start dominating even more. Like I think if they win out, win, you know, the PAC 12 title, um, I think that, it's not necessarily enough if they're just kind of getting by, as we saw earlier in the year. Uh, I think they're going to have to start dominating these really good teams. Um, I, I think a dominant win against Utah and maybe beating them again um, in Vegas in the Pac-12 championship game, depending on what happens up, you know, above them in the top six, maybe that's enough. But um, I don't think a Pac-12 championship win is as um I guess glorious as it may sound just because of how much of a um, mess, I guess um, to keep it PG a mess that uh, the PAC 12 South has been. So I don't know how, you know, the, the committee would look at that um, a win over, 
you know, an Arizona State or a Utah on a neutral site. But I think a road win at Utah with the way that they're playing would be more impressive than um, the Pac-12 championship, given how weird the South is. Ducks set to face the Washington Huskies this Saturday at 4.30 p.m. on ABC in Seattle, talking with Ducks Digest reporter Dylan Rubenking about Oregon's big win over Colorado uh, at home this past week. Dylan, before we get out of here, I uh, want to give you a chance to, to plug your work uh, and where people can find more of you. For sure. I am on Twitter at DRK Sports News. I'm tweeting about the Ducks and Aaron Rodgers sending me Bitcoin all the time. Um, and you can find my work on Ducks Digest. I'm doing stuff usually every day. And I'm also doing stuff for the Transfer Portal CFB, which is at the Transfer Portal or at T Portal CFB on Twitter and the TransferPortalCFB.com. Good stuff, man. Uh, if you want to follow me, find more on my work, you can follow me at MTORUS Sports on Twitter. Also, head on over to YouTube, um, doing some, some cool videos over there. Oregon Football Max Taurus, the name of the channel. And then you can find more of Ducks Digest at DucksDigest.com covering the Ducks for Sports Illustrated. And then you can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at Ducks Digest. Thank you, folks, so much for tuning in to this latest episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. And we will find, we will see you next time. Everyone take care.